The following program is produced and furnished in conjunction with Derek Dorch of the Diversa Group, which is entirely responsible for its content. Welcome to Fed Access with Derek T. Dorch. Derek walks you through how to win government jobs, effectively manage your government career, and best utilize government services. Every week on Fed Access, you'll learn about interesting federal agencies, workers, and careers. Fed Access provides you the access you need to succeed in the federal government. And now your host, Derek T. Dorch. Welcome to Fed Access with Derek T. Dorch from Federal News Radio, 1500 AM. We are always glad you're joining us. And as always, we're going to have a great topic with us uh, today's show. We've got with us Evan Lesser. He's one of our value guests that we always have on, a subject matter expert in terms of the clearance market. He's founder and president of clearancejobs.com. And we've got a whole bit. Evan gave me a whole bunch of topics that he thought were very, very relevant. I looked over them. I was like, wow, we got to hit these. And so, Evan, thank you, as always, for coming on the show. Hey, good to talk with you, Derek. Thanks. Thank you. So, hey, (laughs) we're still in this process. I mean, Clearance backlog. Let's start off with that. We're still in this process. <laughs> and how long, me and you, have been talking about clearance backlog? <laughs> We've been talking about this for many years. <laughs> yeah, yeah, forever, I guess. I know, right? It kind of ebbs and flows. Exactly. What's it's going on? Been, yeah, it's definitely been all over the news um, that the current backlog of people awaiting clearance, I think it's hovering around 725,000 people, which is the most yes. ever. Um, I remember, you know, a decade ago when we were talking about 250,000 people in the backlog, and lawmakers um, were kind of all up in arms about that. So we're up to 725,000. The government has reported about half of those people are new investigations, and the other half are periodic reinvestigations. It's really a staggering number, and I think it's essentially turned people with active clearances into a, a really massively hot property these days. You know, with this, are we talking about 725,000 with all the different clearances, everything from the confidential all the way to the highest, the top secret SCI with the poly? Is this just a full clearance market that we're talking about? It is, but, you know, I I would wager that uh, the bulk of the 725,000 are um, uh, probably uh, secret or or top secret. Most of the jobs we're seeing on on the clearance job site these days are, are TS level or higher. Uh, large portion TSSCI. So, you know, there may be a bit of an overclassification thing going on, but I would wager that most of the 725,000 are, are, you know, top secret. Wow. You know, with all of that, what's the reason? I mean, how, how did we get from, you know, when we were talking before from 200 something thousand to now to the point of 700 something thousand? I mean, is this the retirement dynamic? Is this just a need for more clearances? You know, we also talked about one period of time that the, 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 the market had gotten oversaturated and maybe too many agencies were asking for clearances where they didn't need it. They, they, you know, some of the positions really didn't require a secret or top secret clearance, but they were trying to get them. What's going on right now that we've got this volume? Yeah, I guess so right now the backlog is so large because of the, the really lengthy time it's taking presently to get someone a clearance. You know, for a top secret clearance, which makes up, uh, again, the majority of, of open jobs, processing is up to 534 days. And note, that's for the fastest 90% of cases. On clearance jobs, we hear from candidates that have been waiting for their clearance for two or even three years. It's a lifetime in the, uh, in the, you know, the life of a tech, engineering, or intelligence professional. I think the good news is that this massive investigations backlog and, and lengthy time frame to obtain a clearance have really made it uh, a national you know, front page story. Uh, I think with many of the 
president's inner circle of you know, family advisors and lawyers having some trouble getting cleared, it's really brought the problems surrounding clearances uh, to the forefront, and that is surely a, a helpful thing in, in terms of trying to get something done. Does that mean, as you know, as we're looking at the, the the reasons, you know, for why this is happening, and and as you're saying that it's starting to get a lot more press, does that mean that the clearance process is going to change, or you know, are, you know, because you know we've seen the SF eighty six change in, in a couple of different reiterations throughout the years. Uh-huh. Does this mean that we're going to maybe stop looking at things as closely, or is there going to be a new form of clearance where you can get through quicker? What's what's the impact of this? What's the ramifications of this? Sure. So you know, with with all this going on, naturally lawmakers are. Uh, calling for for changes to the clearance process and, and some kind of reform, and whether it's um, uh, something minor or or something like a, a whole sweeping reform, there are definitely some debates up um, about that. You know, we've been in this situation before. I think the government has a really tough time balancing the quality of investigations with the quantity that they can complete. It's always leaning too far in one direction. It's never balanced. So presently, it's all about the numbers. Um, Congress wants the clearest process to move faster. But in the past, you know, any efforts the government's made to speed up the clearance process have always resulted in poor quality investigations. Think um, Snowden, um, Alexis, Manning, Winner. Remember, just a few years ago, all lawmakers could talk about was the quality of investigations, insider threats, um, taking investigation work away from contractors and making it inherently governmental to improve the quality. So, uh, again, it kind of ebbs and flows between quality and quantity as being the top thing on the government's mind. At this point, it's all about uh, quantity. And once the balance shifts in the other direction, uh, I guarantee in, in a few years we'll be talking about the quality of investigations again. You know, th- this makes me think about a couple of different things, Evan, in, in terms of, you know, we talk about the, 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 the job seeker and those going through the clearances. And it's taking, you know, one to three years sometime to get a person cleared. What are you seeing that is the impact on the job seeker? Are, are we seeing less and less people who want to kind of go through such a process? I mean, of course, if a lot of persons wait, you know, if they're waiting one to three years, they're going to have to find a job in another industry. That job may even be more, you know, more high paying. That job may have different benefits. That job may have a number of other things going for it, especially as the economy gets better. What are we seeing with the job seeker with this? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if anybody is willing to wait uh, two or three years for, for much of anything, uh, much less a, a job with uh, with government. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the problem is that in, in our age of social media, if someone is waiting, you know, 500-plus days for security clearance, other people are going to know about it. You know, they, they, they talk to their friends, their neighbors, their coworkers, um, their family. And, you know, I think at this point a lot of uh, candidates – that are even thinking about undergoing the clearance process really understand there's a lot of people out there that have been waiting some really long times and do they really want to do that and most of the time the answer is no so i think from the candidates point of view the the length of time it takes to get a clearance is a huge um, discouragement um, the other might have to do with um, uh, salaries um, and, and, and benefits um, and then I, I guess finally, you know, there's still um, uh, quite a lot of fallout from um, Edward Snowden in the fact that the government has this public relations issue where people don't think it's, it's cool to work for government um, like they did, um, you know, maybe a decade ago or post 9/11. Now, 
Um, a lot of people are seeing, you know, if you're working for government, you're working for Big Brother, you mm-hmm. know, and it's just not nearly as attractive as it used to be in the past. So the government's got a, a massive problem, and on the candidate front, uh, they don't want to wait that time period, and even if they did want to wait that time period, there's so many other things that make working for the government a negative. It's really discouraging. You know, I'm, I'm and, and I'm going to add to that, uh, Evan. It, 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 uh, you know, of course, now we have you know, members of the administration, and, and you know, not in taking a side on this, but you know, you have a dynamic where FBI, uh, 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 you know, special agents are being called stormtroopers, or you know, there's a negative effect about the intelligence community coming from certain members of the administration and everything else. And so, I, I could imagine. Imagine that that is also a demoralizing. We talked about the State Department and how demoralizing uh, those uh, people were. Uh, is that just having a, sh- a swelling across the whole government in terms of morale and people saying, hey, I either I'm not staying or I don't want to join the government because why would I put myself in that situation? Yeah, I mean, I don't have any uh, data on it specifically, but, you know, anecdotally, I'm talking with um, the, the candidates that we do and the employers that we do on, on a daily basis, there's definitely frustration out there. Um, it, it's hard enough just to, to, to want to work for government mm-hmm. um, and, and want to try to make a difference. But, you know, yeah, there's a lot of negativity out there, um, and some of it's coming from the highest levels of government. And it's just, it, it is frustrating for, for a lot of people who have made their careers um, as civil servants and really dedicated their, their lives to, uh, to government service to, to get this kind of uh, reaction. So across the board, it, it's a bad situation. And, and as you know, with issues like cybersecurity mm-hmm. um, always being there, um, the government needs workers desperately and contractors need workers desperately. Anything that hinders someone from getting hired is seen as, uh, as a national security issue. You know, I was just about to ask you that. I mean, how, how is this impacting the, the employers? I mean, especially you've got pretty much about a, about a million people out, out of the workforce, either a mil- or, you know, about a, a third of that who are not in the workforce and another third of that who are basically being re-cleared and, and may have some issues. So you've got all these people in this box. How is that affecting uh, the contractors and the government agencies in terms of, you know, are there still just a deficit in terms of the number of people to do uh, the work that's required? Yeah, employers are, are desperate for, for cleared talent. Um, you know, the, the overall population of cleared people is down um, by a little over 30% since uh, 2013, which is when um, Snowden first surfaced. And, um, you know, really, um, I think employers at this point, the, the desperation has uh, turned into things like uh, massive signing bonuses, mm. um, doing whatever they can to pull candidates from other uh, other companies, um, I can talk to you in just a little bit about the most recent uh, compensation survey that we've run and are getting ready to release. I think it's pretty telling about uh, about the industry and, and where it's going. You know, when we think about that kind of stuff, and I want to talk about that piece because it sounds as if you if you have a clearance right now, uh, this is a market where you could really kind of, you know, really take that to your advantage, make a lot more money, maybe jump into a company or, or some other place that's going to give you some extra signing bonuses, may have some flexibility in terms of your work schedule. I want to talk about all that when we come back as we talk about the impact to the employers and what are they doing right now. And also for those who have clearance, how marketable are they at this point in time? We're talking to Evan Lesser. He's the founder and president of clearancejobs.com. There's a great site in which if you have a clearance, everything from a confidential to secret to top secret, 
top secret SEI and full poly, all those clearances, you should be on the site, taking a look at it, seeing what's going on, seeing what the recruiters are talking about. If you're looking for candidates, then you need to be on the site as well. Whether it be a government agency or government contractor, great site to find the right people. We're talking about what's going on with the clearance jobs market right now. We'll be right back after this break. You listen to Fed Access with Derek T. Dortch on Federal News Radio, 1500 a.m. Welcome back to Fed Access with Derek T. Dorch on Federal News Radio. If you just joined us, we have been talking about the clearance job market and talking about what's going on right now. In this kind of scenario, we've been hearing about the number of people who are having a hard time getting clearances. Over 500 days to get a, a clearance at this point in time. People are waiting one two, three, maybe years in order to get a security clearance sometime. And that's having a significant impact on employers, government agencies, government contractors, the work that needs to be done, cybersecurity, and so many other fields that are out there. There's an impact right now. We're talking to Evan Lesser. He's founder and president of clearancejobs.com. He's an expert on this. We've had him on the show many times, and he's always provided some insight on what's happening with the clearance jobs market. If you're a job seeker or an employer, you need to check on clearancejobs.com. Um, it's a great site. Evan, you know, when, when we, we were just kind of talking about the impact of the employer about what's going on, it, it, this seems to be where these guys are, 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 are having a hard time recruiting. So they've got to basically uh, uh, try to steal people from other agencies or steal people from other contractors, right? Yeah, that's right. And, and I think one of the chief problems is that the, the total number of cleared people has dropped by 30 plus percent mm-hmm. since 2013. And, and in 2013, you know, contractor Edward Snowden was charged with espionage, you know, for stealing a huge amount of classified data. And after he fled to um, Hong Kong and settled in, in Russia, lawmakers asked, how could this guy have gotten a clearance? And, and there were definitely red flags there. So their knee-jerk reaction was to cull the cleared population. And they, they did so from about 5.1 million people with clearance down to roughly 3.5 million. Fast forward to today, Congress can't understand why so many critical national security roles have gone unfilled and why we can't get enough cybersecurity talent or, or linguists or engineers with clearance. So being directly in tune with cleared hiring, it's really my feeling that the reaction to Snowden by government was almost as damaging as Snowden's intel leaks in reducing the total number of people with clearance. It just makes it really hard on employers because that pool is so small. You know, when we look at this and and look at the pool right now, because as you've talked about, the cybersecurity people who oftentimes they really do have a lot of other kind of marketable opportunities they can jump into. They don't have to jump into the clear market. And then also we're talking about linguists and other people of that sort who, again, I mean, now the, the market is starting to get even valuable for them as you know, Fortune 500 companies, you know, you know, continue to grow overseas. And so they need people with language skills and everything else. What is going on? What is the government doing as it relates to, and you kind of mentioned about maybe the, the survey about salaries and maybe let's jump into that. What is the government doing or the government and contractors doing in order to entice people to stay retention what are they doing in terms of trying to you know get people to fill critical slots well I, I think we can you know pre- kind of preface um, this point by noting that the number of, of security clearance jobs um, and saying it's huge is, is an incredible understatement um, you know clearance jobs has been around since 2002 and we've been tracking the industry um, you know, since years before that, right now there are more open clearance jobs than at any time before, from tech and engineering to logistics to uh, to you know to Intel to healthcare 
emergency response to construction, everything in between, you know, without a doubt, clear jobs are, are plentiful. Um, what's interesting to note, which really does kind of uh, make hiring more difficult, is that in addition to the typical Fortune 1000 defense contractors, you've now got lots of pure tech companies in the cleared space and attracting candidates. And it's far more interesting for them to go to work for some of these companies than the government. So typical defense contractors not only compete with other contractors for cleared talent, now they're competing with the likes of Amazon, Dell, HP, Microsoft, uh, IBM, Cisco, and Google for cleared workers, too. makes it far more challenging on employers. They definitely have to look at, at salaries as a way to, uh, to try to tr- attract you know, those people. And when you've got like an Amazon or a Dell out there who's trying to you know, maybe bring in clear talent, though I'm assuming, and you can tell me if I'm correct, Evan, is that those companies sometimes have enough to do to maybe keep a person occupied on either the private side while they're waiting to get cleared on the public sector side. Is that, I mean, is, is, is that true that these big companies can bring these people in and hold them and kind of keep them and, and then also pay them bigger salaries, maybe than a smaller or medium-sized business who needs the same talent? Yeah, yes, yeah, and that's actually a really um, that's a really smart point because, you know, when you look at uh, the the companies I just mentioned, the bulk of work they do is you know unclassified, mm-hmm. uncleared. But if you look at the Fortune 1000 in defense, the bulk of work they do is classified, is cleared. So they have far less opportunities to bring someone on board, pay them a salary, and have them doing meaningful work. Right. Um, in many cases, you know, these, these people are twiddling their thumbs, just waiting for their clearances to come in and getting paid a salary for it. Um, so, yeah, you're correct. If you go to work for uh, a company with bulk uncleared work as, as their majority of, of, of things they have to do, um, yeah, there's a lot of opportunities to, uh, to help them out and to, to build up, you know, one skill set. And it's far more attractive to, uh, to a worker than just sitting and kind of waiting for that clearance to process. Right, right. You know, I, I've been seeing that some of these companies who are operating on both sectors, on the private and the public, and, and a little bit more on the public sector, the ones who were, who were, who were predominantly private see maybe an opportunity right now in terms of going into the, I mean, Amazon is just one example, how Amazon, the cloud services and all the other kind of Google is starting to do some stuff in terms of the certain markets. Uh, they were pretty much a private sector company. Is, is this the case that these companies are starting to see a possible potential market in the federal sector that, that they didn't see before? Um, I think they've seen it for a while. Um, it's just, you know, lately it's been uh, picking up, um, and it's been picking up because the government doesn't have the expertise or knowledge to do a lot of the things that that they think they should be doing. Right. Cloud computing is, is the easiest example. Um, government has known cloud computing would be a great way to manage security, to save money, um, to, to standardize processes across government, but they had zero expertise um, in it, or maybe not zero, but very little. Very little, yeah. So, mm-hmm. you know, Enter Amazon, Microsoft, and, and, and Dell, and others, and, and you know they practically wrote the book on, on cloud computing. So um, it, it's been around for a while, I think. But you know, as the government struggles to hire, um, if they can't find the people they need, they immediately turn to industry, and, and industry is, is far more creative and aggressive in terms of trying to find um, um, the, the talent. So whether it's cloud computing or cybersecurity or software engineering. 
um, yeah, companies like Amazon and, and HP and IBM and, and Google um, definitely um, have their uh, uh, more than just their toe in, in the government pool. I think they, they are, are fully in at this point. Right. You know, when, uh, you, you mentioned about cybersecurity, and of course, this is one of the topics that everybody speaks about all the time right now, about what are we doing with cybersecurity. There's been talk about, you know, making cyber command its own command and everything else. It, 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 where where are we going? There's been talk about the military using the reserves more. And, and, and creating that where you can get maybe that talent, you know, from Silicon Valley or other places that there's cyber talent and then you can put people in the military reserves and kind of tap them. Where do you see cyber going as it relates, especially with this deficit of talent in the government? Do you hear any innovative ideas that, that are taking hold to, to really kind of bridge this gap? Um, unfortunately, no, not really. Mm. Um, I think... Uh, the the main thing that the government is doing right now is the same thing they've always done is if they don't have the expertise if they don't have um uh, the, the talent if they don't have the people um they turn to industry and then they immediately say well you know we can't do this maybe you guys can um and and that's really the the only thing they've been able to do i i think you know there hasn't been anything too terribly exciting or innovative but um in in the past number of years the government's done a pretty good job of partnering with industry, um, bringing um, uh, industry people into government to to help them out, as well as uh, bringing people from government into industry to to see what's going on. And you know that that partnership or sharing of of, of mind share has been, you know, helpful. Um, it's not going to solve all the problems, but um, again, I think until clearance reform is really put in and uh, truly modernized. Um, the government's going to have to rely on industry to uh, to fill these roles because uh, people just really don't want to sit around it and wait for that clearance. You know, one thing I've I've noticed, Evan, is that I've seen some of the agencies, especially when we talk about these STEM careers and we talk about education and we talk about kind of the young people and what tracks they're going. Uh, um, I'm, I've seen a lot more investment in terms of maybe getting uh, these young people into government in some kind, either whether through the intern, you know, high schoolers who are STEM, you know, STEM path or, you know, you know, working on technology and mathematics and science and everything else in order to maybe because they can they can get cleared pretty quickly. Right. They don't have the same kind of dynamic. Uh-huh. They haven't been all over the world and everything that's else. Right. Do you think that that's where things are, are also going to be can headed a little bit more to kind of get that younger generation so you can. And that's going to take some time. But do, do you see that as kind of the, the vision and the evolution of this? Uh, yeah, it's definitely one of the solutions, and it's not just a government thing. Um, industry is is all about hitting up um, uh, high schoolers and, and mm-hmm. in some cases even middle schoolers mm-hmm. and, and letting them know, hey, there are some really exciting things you can do. Um, you know, it's all about recruitment. Um, it, it's maybe not 100% um, uh, analogous, but, you know, I was uh, recently over at the um, the spy museum, and, and I, I couldn't help but feel that the spy museum is just a big recruitment um, uh, center <laughs> for the for the uh, agencies, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And there's mm-hmm. nothing there's nothing wrong with that, um, but um, it, it just really got me thinking about how young 
government and industry has to start in order to get people into uh, into cleared careers. And right. they're really trying to, they've almost thrown up their hands on millennials and said, oh my gosh, we, we're not going to be able to make a dent with this audience. Let's just start start, start younger <laughs> and, and see what happens. Right. But right. yeah, c- considering the, the, the fact that the number of cleared people has dropped so dramatically since 2013, um, they've got to fill in the ranks somehow. And um, I, I think it's smart that they're looking at future generations and trying to groom them for, uh, for careers in, in civil service. We're talking to Evan Lesser. He's the founder and president of clearancejobs.com. You can find him on the site, just clearancejobs.com. But great site for those who are looking. Also, if you just need some information about the clear market, they've got articles, resources, and everything else that they put out on a regular basis that are very, very informational and very, very insightful that can really kind of teach you a lot about what's going on. If you're an employer or a job seeker, if you've got a job seeker that has a clearance, Get on there and start, you know, getting with these recruiters, you know, getting on there and networking and finding out what's going on. But if you're also an employer, you can find some great talent on there. We're going to be taking a quick break and we'll be right back after this. You're listening to Fed Access with Derek T. Dorch on Federal News Radio, 1500 a.m. Welcome back to Fed Access with Derek T. George from Federal News Radio, 1500 AM. If you're just joining us, we've been having an interesting conversation about what's going on with the clearance job market right now. If you're a person with the security clearance right now, this is probably one of the best times because there's a 30 percent kind of deficit in terms of the talent out there of people who have security clearances. If you're a person who's trying to get into the industry Probably not as much the best time because, you know, you've got a long wait ahead of you. Uh, Anything from a year to two years, maybe three years. So you have to really kind of think about if I really do want to be into government, what should I be doing in the meantime? And we're talking about some of those things today. We're talking to Evan Lesser. He's the founder and president of clearancejobs.com. He's an expert on this industry and what's going on in this sector. And we're getting his insights today. Evan, when, when we look at, you know, we, we, we've talked about this so many different times, and so I'm even kind of hesitant to bring it up. But we keep on talking about reform, clearance job, <laughs> clearance reform, right, uh, and all this other kind of stuff. I mean, me and you have had this conversation many times. Where are we today on clearance reform? And, 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 and part of this is why are we back at this same starting point, it feels like? Yeah, I think to answer the question of where are we today, we kind of have to look to the past. Um, Senator Burr, I think it was, recently said in in March um, that the clearance process was a a relic from the 1950s, and and really he's essentially correct. We've got electronic forms now, which is great, electronic fingerprints. We've got email. We've got social media. But investigators are still having to drive around the country, interviewing subjects, taking notes on pad of paper, and then heading back to some central location to, to type everything up. It's ridiculous, you know, when you can get a, a quality digital tablet for a hundred bucks, right. um, a high-res webcam for thirty bucks, you know, fast internet, unlimited secure data storage for cheap. I think until investigations process gets fully modernized, we're really going to continue to see major issues with both the quality and the quantity of clearance investigations. Um, investigators are having to rush through the process um, uh, to, to, you know, to try to make ends meet, and a lot of that has to do with this, this modernization issue. You know, I was just talking to some people who were going through the clearance process, and I, I was really almost concerned because they, were, they had several different investigators, and 
all the investigators went on the same page and one person had different information and they and it almost felt as if they weren't um, they weren't communicating well uh, they weren't uh, 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 collecting information and, and, and putting it in well and this person of course was very very frustrated because they had been waiting for the clearance for quite some time but just hearing the process that they're going through just really really sounded very very concerning to me so I I, I guess I kind of wonder What's going on? Is it the people we're hiring? Is it? The, is it I know you mentioned the technology. Why are we still here, though, Evan? When, 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 like you said, I mean, when I could just get a Google, kind of get a hundred, you know, gigabytes of, of storage and, and and share it with everybody, and and you know, what I'm saying, I mean, we can communicate yeah. so quicker on the private side, but our government is not doing that. Yeah, yeah, and and there's really there's two ways that you can reform um, the security clearance process. One is just modernization, and mm-hmm. is what I mentioned before. Let's mm-hmm. bring in technology to um, to help speed things up. Let's get rid of the the pads of paper. Let's let's get out of the 1950s and and let let's get modern. The other thing is is really almost wiping the slate clean mm-hmm. and just saying, you know what. Let's rethink this whole thing. Um, it is a relic from the 1950s. Let's modernize it, but let's also um, redo the whole system. I think a great example of this is, is reciprocity. Um, it's the age-old foreign in the side of the cleared community, and, mm-hmm. and we've been talking about it regularly since 9-11, and, and really little has been done. The inability to take a clearance from one agency and move to another within government just adds to the backlog and, and really causes delays in the process, as well as uh, some of the frustration you mentioned. Even within a single agency, security clearances often just don't transfer. Um, within the DHS, there are 12 different um, adjudicative agents, and, and each requires a separate review for suitability. Hmm. Um, I'm, I'm quoting the, the editor on, on clearance jobs, um, and she, she had actually said recently, you can't even change jobs across the hall without potentially encountering weeks or months of delay. Hmm. And, um, and that's really just mind-boggling in, in, in this day and age. A, a single database of cleared people with similar adjudication standards across government would solve this issue right. once and for all. But what happened to the law? You know, remember we remember remember we went through the Intelligence Reform Act and everything else, and there was a whole thing in there about clearances and reciprocity, and there was supposed to be a law that you know stated that agencies were supposed to do this reciprocity, and it just it, it seemed as if it was never truly implemented uh, ever since I remember that time when it first happened. I mean, what happened to that? Yeah, I mean, the problem is is that, you know, the lawmakers will come up with a law, they'll, they'll get something on the books, but then um, really, uh, you know, everybody involved goes about doing it um, in some other way. Mm. So as an example, um, you know, recently Congress gave clearance investigations for DOD personnel and contractors back to the DOD and away from the National Background Investigations Bureau, the, the NBIB. The NBIB has only really been on the job for less than two years. And if you look at some of the startup time, you, you could arguably say they've only been at the job for, for one year. And they've already had the bulk of investigations pulled from their care. Hmm. That, that's fine. But the movement of responsibility of investigations for clearance from one agency to another automatically causes extra, you know, administrative and, and right. logistical delays. And so the transition from NBIB to DOD is, is going to take, you know, three years, they say. So we shouldn't expect to see any dramatic changes in the backlog or, or timelines to get a, a new clearance anytime soon. You know, don't forget the reason that clearance investigations moved from the DOD to OPM years ago 
was due to the DOD's own delays, problems, and quality issues. And right. so now they're taking it back. So, you know, to, to answer your question, sorry, long, long-winded there and no, a bit of a rant, it's, it's, Eric, it, but, it, I, I think we're both frustrated because I remember these things being on the GAO um, um, high-risk list. I remember... You know, these always be in conversations that we and, and, and to me, it just feels as if we're starting over again. And, and, I, and I think we're all frustrated about that. It, it, it is. Yeah, it really does feel like we're starting all over again. Um, you know, I think the government really thought that moving investigations to the National Background Investigations Bureau dedicated to this one task was going to solve the problems. And um, to be honest, I don't think they really gave it a fair shot. Right. Um, it's only been you know two years, uh, less than two years, and they were just getting up to speed. So the fact that the DOD is going to take it over again and all the administrative and logistical delays that are going to get involved, we're going to be dealing with the clearance backlog um, for years to come. There, there are no solutions on the table. Um, clearance reform is just talk at this point. Um, and some small steps have been made over the past couple of years, which have helped. But when you look at large-scale changes um, like moving investigations from the NBIB to DOD, um, you're really looking at just exacerbating this problem and, and making it a whole lot worse. You know, it, t- talk to me real quick about the status of the NBIB because, I mean, we've got this agency that was still under OPM that kind of, you know, fell under uh, FIS, the Federal Investigative Services, and now, you know, kind of retail it to NBIB, the National Background Investigation Bureau. Uh, Is is this thing going to continue or are we looking at kind of a dismantling of an agency? I mean, I mean, just from what you're seeing, I know we can't, you know, completely read the tea leaves, but just to seem like it take a big bulk of, of, of what they were supposed to be doing away from them almost seems as if somebody's trying to, you know, say, hey, you may not be as relevant as you think you are. I don't know. What do you what are you feeling on this? Well, uh, I think, again, since it's, it's they've really been only up and running for less than two years, I, I don't think they really had a fair shot at making a dent in the problem. Um, people tend to forget that when you move responsibilities from one agency to another, it's not like flicking a light switch. It takes years to get people moved over and new policies and new new processes and um, um, you know all the logistical work of, of uh, getting things going and uh, administrative and hiring it, it takes a lot of time so if you're going to move something from one agency to another you got to have the stomach for the long haul you, know, you got to say we're going to give this a fair shake and, and see how it happens I don't feel like that's been the case with the NBIB my, my fear is is that the DOD will take over. They may see some improvement in two, three years, um, but unless there's real you know, sweeping clearance reform, the DOD is going to get back into the issues that they had back in the day, which is, you know, they had their own problems. Right. And then they're going to look at, oh, how do we fix this? And, right. you know, who knows? Because so, DOD, my concern is, like you said, DOD is so massive, and then they start breaking it up into different agencies. And, I mean, you've got so many different agencies and sub-agencies under that, and everybody wants their own clearance and adjudication process, yep. and that's just going to create another nightmare. Yeah, you're completely correct there. Um, in the news over the past couple of weeks, um, the Air Force is kind of taking the bull by the horns and, and saying, you know, we've got um, 79,000 people that are waiting clearance. Um, we're going to jump in and, and start helping out. And that's that's great. But again, you've got, um, you know, one part of the government that wants to do things their way. Right. And you've got the rest of the government that's doing things their way. And it just it creates so much confusion. And that's where issues like, you know, uh, reciprocity comes in. Um, 
you know, it, it, it's really difficult. And I, I think this all translates into um, salaries. Right. Uh, it yeah, all right. translates into these difficulties are making cleared people um, not a dime a dozen, mm-hmm. but um, you know, really, really valuable. And um, that's going to drive up costs across the board. Hold that thought. I want to go into the salaries when we come back. We're talking to Evan Lesser. He is the founder and president of clearancejobs.com. Again, it's a great site for those who are job seekers. If you've got a clearance, I mean, this is your market right now. This is your moneymaker right now. That clearance is so valuable because we have so few people who have them these days that you probably can kind of write your own ticket these days. So you need to be on sites like clearancejobs.com. You know, if you're looking in the job market or even just you're kind of looking around and kind of peeking to see what's going on, it doesn't hurt to put your resume up there, talk to some recruiters, see what offers you may get. And for employers, this is where you're going to find some of that talent at right there that you're looking for on a site like clearancejobs.com. So please check that out. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to talk about salaries. Uh, uh, Clearance Jobs just did a salary survey. We're going to find out what the results of that when we come back. Listen to Fed Access with Derek T. Dortch from Federal News Radio, 1500 a.m. Welcome back to Fed Access with Derek T. Dortch on Federal News Radio, 1500 a.m. If you're just joining us, we've been having a great conversation about what's going on with the clearance jobs market. I tell you, if you are a person who has a, a clearance and one of the top clearance, one of the top secret SEIs with a, with a poly, man, this is your time. This is, this is the time period where you probably can write your own ticket about what's going on. And for those who are trying to get into the government, this is your time to have some patience and trying to find some alternatives that you can work in while you're waiting for that clearance. That clearance is, is gold right now. But you may have to wait a little bit of time in order to get that. So just be prepared. We're talking to Evan Lesser. He's the founder and president of clearancejobs.com, which is a great site for the job seeker and for employers and where they can match up and then start talking to each other about, you know, the right opportunities, the right mix and everything else. Evan, you know, when, when we look at this, you guys did a salary survey and, and, and you do this on a regular basis. What are we seeing? What changes are we seeing right now in terms of salaries and in terms of what people can expect? Yeah, thanks, Derek. We're we're really excited um, to reveal the uh, the results of the survey. It should be out um, uh, probably um, towards late May. Um, as you mentioned, we do this on a regular basis. Um, it's almost ready for prime time, um, but I can't share some of the findings with you here. So I think the the top one that we look at is what are average base salaries for cleared professionals just uh, across the board. Um, it's a real indicator as to um, how you know, uh, how much demand there is in this marketplace. And what we saw is that um, average base salaries are up 8% since last year. And average total compensation, that includes base salaries plus uh, overtime bonuses and danger pay or anything else, are up 7%. And that's the biggest jump we've seen in at least five years, if not longer. Senior-level cleared workers are in particular demand. Um, Their base salaries are up 11% over last year. Um, Anyone thinking about retiring anytime soon can uh, probably expect some type of a a heavy counteroffer to to try to keep them um, on the bench. So the typical cleared professional nationwide um, reported actually making um, right around 93000 in total compensation, and that's up from 87000 last year, so a, a pretty healthy jump. Mm-hmm. Um, with recruiters, you know, kind of hounding cleared professionals and, and trying to lure them away from their current employers, it's no shock that 84% of cleared professionals, they told us that they're at least somewhat likely to change jobs in the next 12 months, mm. 84%. Wow. So the lower the salary, the higher the likelihood that they're going to 
uh, change jobs. Um, I think the last thing I can share with you is that professionals earning less than the average base pay of 83000 indicated they were very likely to change jobs in the next year. So for employers, they can expect a whole lot of turmoil with a whole lot of people leaving to go to you know, some other company uh, or possibly directly into government. You, you know, that, that is startling. If, if I was a person, an executive or HR manager, you know, or even just a manager in, in a company, I would be very, very concerned that as soon as I bring somebody in and onboard them and get them started, that I may lose them within the next eight months, the eight to nine to 12 months, and that, that, which means they just got started in the job, right? And they're just getting, you know, into into maybe getting in motion and then somebody's kind of pulling them away. Is there anything that you're finding in the survey that people are doing to do retention? Are they trying to, you know, work with people better? Are they trying to help people telecommute? Are they trying to give them bonuses? I mean, is there anything that these companies are trying to say, hey, listen, we've got to stop the bleeding in terms of the talent leaving our, our organization? Yeah, yeah. When companies come to us, um, oftentimes they're they're pretty desperate. Mm-hmm. Um you know, they've had some key people leave, and, and they need to make hires um, of really important positions quickly. We're not talking about, uh, you know, entry-level stuff. We're talking senior-level um, engineers, um, you know, IT intelligence. So when companies come to us, uh, they, you know, they say, what can we do? And, and, you know, is anyone having success in this marketplace with hiring? And there is a formula, um, and I think the formula is to really look at candidates just like a company would look at uh, sales leads. So uh, essentially, uh, a candidate is not someone you can just call on the phone today and interview tomorrow and hire them next week. Same thing with, uh, with uh, you know, selling something to somebody. You can't call up a, a sales prospect, um, immediately get them on the phone, and then have them give you a credit card later that day. Mm-hmm. It takes time. You've got to <clears throat> work on um, a nurturing candidates, um, just like a sales lead. You've got to nurture candidate leads over time. Um, you know, traditional marketing says you need to touch a candidate um, in, in you know, two or three different ways. It might be email. It might be an event. It might be, um, um, you know, some type of a, a public um, a billboard or something like that. But it takes multiple touches of a candidate to get them to even notice your company and make them more receptive to, uh, to take a call from a recruiter. So, you know, step one is to really treat candidates um, uh, like leads, understand it's going to take time to nurture those leads. Um, I think the second important thing for companies to do is to take stock of who are the most valuable people uh, that they have, um, you know, around the company. Those are the people they should be um, thinking about replacing, you know, if that person left tomorrow, mm-hmm. how long would it take to replace that person? And unfortunately, we see too many companies fighting fires and, and scrambling to fill these critical roles. If they can take a look forward, understand what are the top ten people in the company that if they left tomorrow, we'd, we'd be in, in, you know, really deep water, and actually start pipelining uh, for those candidates, start to find the alternates, um, try to build up a, a bench of talent that you can tap into. Um, that's really um, one of the critical things that, that companies can do is just is just to look forward. Are there still candidates out there, Evan, that, that, that still have that loyalty dynamic where they say, hey, I, and, and this kind of goes to what you're saying about trying to find the right candidate. Are there still some people who say, I just want to get with a good organization. Uh, I want to get a good salary, of course, but it's not all about the money for me. I want to find someone who's going to invest in me, maybe, you know, help 
help me do some training and education, who's going to believe in me, maybe give me some room to breathe. I'm not being micromanaged. Are there still candidates that you kind of see that those elements are, are still more important than the money? Uh, there are. Um, I do think that loyalty tends to erode when um, money gets in the picture, mm-hmm. especially what we're talking about now in this, this industry, because employers don't have a whole lot that they can do quickly to lure someone from another company other than money. money. Uh, But you're correct in that um, education is really one of the the best things that a company can do to build employee um, loyalty, um, uh, uh, training, you know, showing what the the career ladder is within that company, uh, providing case studies of employees that have risen through the ranks. Uh, There are definitely ways to build loyalty, um, but just throwing money at them is is really not a great way to do it, and all that does is increase costs um, across the board for companies as well as for government. It it, it seems as if there needs to be some strategic thinking about how do we create an industry that, and and I think, I don't don't blame people because a lot of people saw, especially there was a point in time, and we we remember this, Evan, where companies were were not loyal to to, uh, employers, I mean employees, and they just start, when they lost a contract, they just let them go, and they were gone. And and so people felt as if, I'm not going to be loyal to this industry if that's going to happen to me again. Yeah, and and I think... You know, we, we talked about millennials just a little bit earlier, and one of the, the characteristics of millennials is that um, they are far more loyal um, to a company than, than other generations, um, and they want to be loyal, I think, is, is really a better way to put it. Um, I think one of the, the key issues is that the defense industry and intelligence, family security industries, uh, they're kind of run old school, where they think that just, you know, uh, a good benefits and a good pay are going to create loyalty. And, you know, a lot of cleared people have uncleared friends that are working for really cutting-edge companies where the culture uh, is really, really um, focused on. And they've got a crew of people that want to work there. They, mm-hmm. they enjoy working there. They feel like they're making a difference. Um, they feel like they've got room to grow. And unfortunately, um, it, you know, companies in, in defense and intelligence and homeland security are, are pretty far behind on that type of uh, mentality. Um, and when you do find it within our industry, it's really refreshing. So companies really need to start paying attention to um, how to attract and, and uh, retain workers using things other than just benefits and salary. I wish we had more time to talk. There's so much more in my mind that, I'm, that I, I wish we could talk about. But I hope the, these employers are listening because I do think that we do, uh, especially in, in this industry, we need to treat people better, especially in the national security, homeland security, uh, defense, intelligence community, that we need to work on building people better, treating people better, because, you know, these are the people who we oftentimes rely on for the safety of our country. And, 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 and they, they need to have that kind of same dynamic that they may be seeing in other sectors so we don't lose them. You know, totally. I, I, I just yeah. think that's something they got to have a conversation. We've been talking to Evan Lesser. He's the founder and president of ClarenceJobs.com. Always an insightful conversation. I'm going to have to have him back. I got so much in my mind that I want to talk to him about, but we never have enough time. But we definitely will have him back in the near future. Evan, thank you so much for being on the show. We just truly appreciate you. Thank you, Derek. Good to talk with you. You've been listening to Fed Access with Derek T. Dorch on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM. If you missed any part of this program, you can hear the entire show or any of our weekly programs anytime at federalnewsradio.com. Fed Access with Derek T. Dorch, only on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM and federalnewsradio.com.
Hey, electrical contractors. I'm Matt from ABB. Are rising costs and product delays keeping you up at night? We can help you contractor better. ABB's contractor resources are designed to help you increase productivity and profitability on your commercial construction projects. Check out Contractor Better today. Visit go.abb slash contractor better. Your story, it lives in River City, where you can enjoy a metropolitan vibe and a small town feel, where we set the standard for service and looking out for one another, where there's so much more than steak in our thriving food scene. Your story is the story of Omaha, told by those who live it and love it. Whether that's helping you keep up with the Cornhuskers or creating the content you crave. And here in the Omaha World Herald is where it comes to life. Omaha World Herald, where your story lives.